Hello, and welcome to The Exit, presented by Flippa, the number one platform to buy and sell online businesses. Flippa manages over a billion in deal value annually and combines expert buy and sell side advisory with its market-leading valuation tool, deal room, off-market offering, market insights, and AI-based deal-by-deal matching engine. Now for The Exit. The Exit is a 30-minute podcast featuring awesome entrepreneurs who have been there and they have done it. The Exit talks to operators who have bought and sold businesses of all different sizes. You learn how they did it, why they did it, and get exposure to the world of Exits. It's a world occupied by a small few, but accessible to many. On this episode, I sit down with Nathan Hirsch. He's an awesome entrepreneur who is currently the founder of Ecom Balance and Accounts Balance. Ecom Balance is monthly bookkeeping for e-com sellers, and the Accounts Balance company is monthly bookkeeping for digital businesses in general. He's an awesome entrepreneur who exited a company called FreeUp in 2019, and we dig into this thing. It is such a fun conversation because he walks through what it was like, you know, right before ramping up into the pandemic and exiting this thing right beforehand. And I like that it provides a faster way to hire you know, talented workers. And this is something that probably in consistently grows on a daily basis after the pandemic. And I know that it is still around. It's still thriving because Nathan and I talk about it briefly in the interview. But this is a really fun one because he talks about his previous companies, how he's kind of jumped... Uh, you know, from these different startups and just really going through the Amazon marketplace from his dorm room and understanding how that worked and how he could build a business uh, around that with the start of FreeUp. So without further ado, let's sit down and have this in-depth conversation here on The Exit with Nathan Hirsch, the current CEO and founder of Ecom Balance and Account Balance. All right, everyone. Today, I am joined by Nathan Hirsch, the founder of Ecom Balance. How's it going, Nathan? It's going great. Thanks so much for, for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to unpack the exit here. But before we get into that, I'd like to start with what your background is and how you got into business and entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I'm a longtime entrepreneur. I've never had a quote-unquote real job outside of a couple internships when I was in college. Um, growing up, I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I got my parents made me get jobs when I was 15, 16, from umpiring for my town to working at a meat store to uh, Firestone uh, Tires. I was an intern there, a sales intern, and I really just hated having a boss. I I always had to buy things myself. My parents made me buy the video games I want, buy my first car. So I, I was always working hard trying to earn money. Um, but I just hated having a boss, hated having a schedule I had to go to. And I always wanted to start my own business. So when I got to college and I still had these internships, I started hustling. I started competing with my school bookstore, um, buying people's textbooks and, and selling them online and making a margin there. And it got to the point where I set up a referral program and I had lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books. And I got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off and stop competing with them. And so my, par- my parents were both teachers. I didn't want to get kicked out of college or get in trouble with my college. That would not have gone over well. So I pivoted a little bit. I had this Amazon account. This was 
2008, no one really knew what Amazon was. Being an Amazon seller as a full-time thing wasn't a real um, job or business. And I started just experimenting with different products. And I came up with dropshipping years before I knew it was even called dropshipping. I kind of thought, hey, I don't have money to buy inventory. I don't have any place to put inventory. What if I went to these small retailers and said, hey, you don't know e-commerce. I'm good at selling on Amazon. You keep my credit card on file and ship it where I tell you to ship it and I'll make the difference. And I started building these relationships and eventually went around the retailers directly to the manufacturers and built that same agreement to the point where we had hundreds of manufacturers, all US-based, shipping toys and baby products uh, for my Amazon store, just drop shipping them. And I was running this million-dollar Amazon business out of my college frat house, if you can imagine how crazy that was. <laughs> so we kind of scaled this business. We, um, we, we started hiring college kids because uh, I needed to hire people and I, it was getting too big for me to handle alone. And outside of my business partner, who was my first hire, uh, Connor Gilvin, my, my longtime partner, most college kids were unreliable and uh, really frustrating to work with. And, and I didn't really think I could hire adults. I, I was 20. So that kind of gave me the, the uh, position where I had to hire virtual assistants for the first time, hiring from the Philippines, hiring freelancers. And my business partner and I built this VA army of e-commerce VAs and freelancers that as Amazon got harder and they started changing their algorithm and more and more people started to uh, learn how to sell on Amazon. So the competition went up. We kind of became the the people selling the shovels to the people digging for gold on Amazon. We had all these VAs and freelancers and started offering them to Amazon sellers. And that eventually became the, the free up marketplace. So that's kind of the, the short, long version of how I went from books to baby products to, to free up. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Scaling a e-com store in uh, or an Amazon store in a frat house. I can only imagine uh, was was quite an experience. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we were 20. We had no idea what we were doing as an entrepreneur from hiring people to taxes to um, like just maintaining a, a marketplace and customer service. We were kind of learning on the fly and making mistakes and, and adjusting to it. But it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And the, the really cool sort of irony of it is that that was the, the, the core education that you use today and long-term while you were in that, that experience, like the, the college experience was scaling that company as a, a side hustle, you know, to start. And I think that that's really a really cool aspect to it. So let's talk about the, the free up KPIs and the business itself. So what types of things did you learn that you were tracking that were important and how you guys were defining success? Yeah, good question. So keep in mind, FreeUp was really fun because it was our our first B2B experience instead of B2C. Mm -hmm. And we got to have our own website, our own brand. We got to learn SEO and partnerships and driving traffic. So, I mean, the the biggest thing was just watching our traffic and SEO rankings um, going up over time and and being able to go to the different influencers in the e-commerce space and try to get on every single e-commerce podcast and partner with every e-commerce software and find people that did the exact same thing that, that we did but um, or did something different than we did, but had the same target audience. So on the marketing side, we were just looking at traffic. We were looking at signups. Um, keep in mind, it was free to create an account. So um, just getting people to to open to create an account and put in a request for their first freelancer. We were tracking like signups, 
people that submitted their first request, people that would actually um, get an interview and hire um, their first virtual assistant, and then how many VAs and freelancers they would hire and how long they would keep uh, those VAs and freelancers. It was a very tough business to track turnover um, because what does turnover really mean? Someone could hire a freelancer for a graphic design project, start, stop, start, stop. Um, other people might hire someone full-time for a year or might hire someone and work with them for six months and then the project ends and they never really work with us a bit. So we couldn't really judge turnover, um, but we were tracking those metrics in terms of, of sign up and stuff like that. The other thing that we were tracking is just our, our overall margins. One of the things that we did really well was we set up we set it up so it was a $2 minimum per hour um, or 15%, whichever one uh, was bigger. So once someone was making more than 12 bucks an hour, that 15% would kick in. So we were always tracking our margins and we would operate kind of in that 15 to 25, 30% margin uh, for, for the company. And then we we're also comparing like fixed price projects versus the, the hourly virtual assistants. And all these VAs and freelancers would set their own rates. We wouldn't manage them. The client would work directly with them. So we would kind of be able to see, hey, how much are we making for different things, for Amazon PPC, for Amazon customer service, for Amazon listing and be able to decide, hey, what services do we want to offer versus what services do we want to pull back on? Um, the business was incredibly lean. We had no office. We had no U.S. employees. The business was run completely by virtual assistants. Um, we had thousands of VAs and freelancers on our marketplace, but our internal team was 30 VAs in the Philippines doing everything from customer service to lead generation to sales calls, marketing, all that kind of stuff. So and in terms of software, we, we built our own software, the, the actual marketplace. So there were very few expenses for the actual business besides our internal team. So it was really just about tracking the margins of the different services that we were offering and comparing fixed price versus the hourly. Got it. Got it. Very cool. So let's talk about the, the beginnings of the exit. So as far as I understand it, this was in the sort of deep throes of the, the pandemic was when this went down. Uh, so I'd love to before understand. Before the pandemic. Was, so we sold it in 2019. So we, we oh, sold right it in a few months later, the pandemic happened. Oh, got it. Okay. So let's talk about that, how the conversations began with the acquiring company. Was it a partner? Was it a customer? How did that, how did that transpire? Yeah, the, it was a customer of ours, the, the Hoth, um, Mark Hargrove, David Martin, two great entrepreneurs. And they essentially reached out to us with the message of, hey, we use FreeUp. We like FreeUp. We want to get into the freelancer VA space. We don't start businesses. We buy businesses. And we'd love to see if um, you guys would interested, be interested in being acquired. And it, to that point, so they reached out to us early in 2019. We had we had no real discussions of, hey, like we want to sell this company or planning for an exit. We, we were making a lot of money. It was very profitable and having a good time doing it. And we kind of have the, the our mentality that, hey, if something comes across our desk, we're, we're open to, to listening. And, and obviously, if the right offer comes around, we're open to it. So they reached out to us. We said, hey, we're, we're not sure, but we're happy to have a discussion around it. And they, it started off as just a phone call with my business partner and I, and they asked us a, a ton of questions about the business from financials to the amount of customers to what percentage of uh, our customer base is like our revenue. So revenue per customer. And, and luckily, we we're very diverse to the, the services we offer, our software. And one of the things that really helped us is 
we, we knew our books really well. We hired a bookkeeper from day one. We had four years of immaculate books. We had a finance meeting every month to go through our books. So everything we told them on that initial call, when we finally got to due diligence, matched everything that was in our books and kind of gave us the idea to start uh, two monthly bookkeeping brands uh, down the line, which we'll talk about. But mm-hmm. yeah, that we just started off with that initial call. Nice, nice. And for that's a great segue into, into being prepared. Um, you kind of answered it already, but I think a big a big question that comes up with people that you know the type of person it takes to scale a business is often somebody who can move fast and shoot from the hip and just be really uh, aggressive, and that doesn't always correlate to being prepared and uh, being organized. So, what can you share in terms of? Uh, you know, being prepared, uh, you mentioned bookkeeping, but a couple of other maybe knowledge nuggets that you could share with listeners out there, how to be prepared. Yeah. So I was kind of the face of free up, right? Like I would go on the podcast, people would kind of know my name. I did the sales calls for the first year or two before we hired salespeople. And what I kind of heard throughout was like, Hey, don't be the face of your company because that's going to make it really hard to sell. But the key was, yeah, I was kind of the face and a bit of the marketing, although we did a lot of good marketing stuff that had nothing to do with me, like content. Um, but that's easily replaced. Like people can come in and create their own marketing strategy, bring in their own marketing team. The actual core of the business ran completely without me from customer service to matching VAs to the proprietary software we built to the monthly bookkeeping, the billing clients, the paying freelancers, all that kind of stuff was without me. So that really helped us um, be sellable in general. Like if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't have been able to sell it. That the the buyers kind of took the mentality that hey, we'll be able to replace Nate and Connor because most of what they're doing is marketing and driving traffic, and the rest of the business is easily fulfilled. Um, and we had SOPs for everything. Like when we got mm-hmm. to due diligence, we handed over fifty pages of SOPs in Google Docs saying, hey, this is how billing works every single week. This is how we pay freelancers. This is how we handle different customer service issues. This is how we um, place freelancers and handle the job board and tie our company. And so we had processes for everything that they could go through and a combination of good financials and SOPs and having the business not depend on us for operations. I think that's what made us sellable. This podcast is brought to you by Flippa.com, the leading global platform to buy and sell online businesses. Do you need evaluation for your business? Have you asked yourself, who would buy my business? Flippa has a leading valuation tool. It's free to use and based on thousands of historical sales. To get evaluation or to schedule a call with an advisor, head to flippa.com slash free valuation. Now, back to the show. Well said, well said. And for everybody that's, that's a newcomer listening, SOPs are standard operating procedures. And it is a really powerful aspect just alongside bookkeeping and everything but basically letting someone plug in and pick up uh, from, from where you left off and making sure that they know all the different moving parts, all the spinning plates and whatnot uh, that are going on. <laughs> so that's really good, really good insight. So let's talk about the, the transaction. So was there an earnout period? Did you, you know, how big was the team? Did people have to go over to the acquirer? How did that work? 
Yeah. So first of all, it was a six month. Uh, it took six months to sell the company. It was the most stressful uh, six months of my life by far. And every single time we're, we're kind of thinking, hey, this deal can fall through at any second. So we're staying focused on growing the business. My business partner and I, although it's hard, we're keeping each other's focused on growing the business. And we told the buyers that they would not be able to meet our team um, until the sale. And we also negotiated a, a large percentage of the sale um, to go to our, not a large percentage of the sale, but a large chunk of money to go to the team um, to, to make sure that they were taken care of. And I think that put a lot of faith in the buyers, even without meeting the team that, hey, we like this team so much that we're willing to kind of take a, a large percentage of it and give it to the team so they were comfortable not meeting them until the, the sale actually uh, went through. There there was a portion of, part, uh, portion of the sale that was the earnout. I think my kind of advice and the advice that I got was be be okay with the deal without the earnout um, because the earnout, it, who knows? That could happen, it could happen, it could not happen. Anything can kind of go through there. And this is kind of advice I pass along to people that have come to me throughout the years that are selling their companies. Like make sure you're good with the deal without the earnout because once the new people take over, um, who knows what'll happen. Luckily, we got, every penny of the earnout um and the owners honored their word completely i mean we were going through due diligence and while they were doing due diligence on us we were doing due diligence on them we wanted to make sure we were selling it to two people that had the same values as us that we weren't going to end up in an argument or, or a lawsuit down the line um that they were going to take care of our team and our customers and our reputation and and they agreed to keep our team on and not let them go and and obviously um pay that pay that uh bonus and 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 obviously all the stuff that kind of goes in there so we wanted to know everything from success they had, failure they had, other companies they're buying, their plan for free up, their plan for our team, um, just more about them personally, their net worth, all that kind of stuff um, before we agreed to, to sell to them. And I think that's what made us comfortable uh, with an earnout that, that they eventually um, paid out and they're doing great things with, with free up the, over there. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. That kind yeah, of got yeah. a little off track. No, it definitely <laughs> did. Definitely did. And it's good always to to take care of the team. I mean, the people that, that get you to that stage, it's always good to kind of give back uh, to the people that are in the trenches, kind of getting through all the day to day. And uh, that's always, always good. So did you solicit? Uh, let me, let me add to that. Um, so my, my business partner and I completely out, we wanted, we would, didn't want to stick on. And that's also advice that I told people is usually if you stay on after a sale, you hate having a job afterwards and working for someone else who's doing different changes to your company. So we wanted out, we were out within um, 60 days. Um, we took our developer, Russell, who built our, the entire marketplace. He now builds the portal behind our two bookkeeping companies, Econ Balance and Accounts Balance. So that was not negotiable. We did, everyone else on our team stayed with FreeUp. And that was probably one of the hardest parts of selling it because we had people there, Chicky and Marius, um, that we had worked with for years that we really liked and and wanted to work with in the future. But that was kind of a decision that they had to make. And, and once we sold it, informing them that we sold it and introducing them to the new owners, that was probably one of the toughest things. It was really emotional. Uh, people were crying and all that. We made sure they were taken care of and they were very appreciative of the bonus. And they've messaged me since saying, hey, it's been great for them. Um, but at the time, that, that was really hard. So it was pretty much me, my partner and, and Russell and everyone else stayed with the company. Got it. Yeah, it is quite a shift uh, emotionally for everybody involved. You know, no doubt about that. So did you solicit the deal to like other potential buyers or was it just these 
these buyers only once it was the process that started? We we didn't. We actually, I mean, that's probably one thing that a broker or someone would tell us, hey, like get multiple offers. Mm-hmm. Um, we were pretty happy with the dollar amount. It's life-changing. I could probably never work again. So could I have gotten a little bit more? Maybe. But for us, we wanted to really make sure we were selling it to, to good people. We wanted to our reputation intact. We planned on, on starting and buying and running other companies. Um, we wanted to make sure our team was taken care of and, and that free up would continue to exist. And that was honestly the, the best thing because we're still in touch with Mark and David. They're, they're kind of mentors of ours. They've helped us promote other companies. They, they honored every single part of their deal. Have they made changes that maybe Connor and I disagree with? Sure, but you kind of know that going in. Like no one's going to do exactly what you would do in your company. And we're talking about minor business changes. We're not talking about anything major that that would hurt anyone. So I think we were we were happy with these buyers and not shopping around. Future companies I sell, would we shop around? Probably if we wanted to get every last penny, could we have gotten someone bigger potentially? Um, the other part about it is they did it everything in cash, which we always like. We're not a big fan of loans and dealing with the bank, which they had kind of had the same value there. So could we have gotten more with different loans and banks involved? Maybe it could have been a longer process, but that kind of was a, a proponent of it as well. Got it. And you know, with negotiations, you mentioned it was a six-month time frame. That's a, that's a pretty long, long period of, of going back and forth. And like you said, it's super stressful for, for that period of time while running a company on top of that. So it, it's kind of a crazy, crazy situation to be in as the founder. What, what do negotiations look like? I mean, were you guys talking every week, going back and forth on the, the amounts? How did that look? Yeah. So it's funny, like the actual, like the initial call, then the due diligence was about three to four weeks, which is pretty normal. Like they were sending questions back to us. We were sending questions back to them. Um, We were both responding kind of quick. We just had a lot of questions and we would send them over SOPs and financials. And there was just a lot of stuff to go through. And the actual negotiating of the, the money amount, like there was a little back and forth, but that's not the part that really dragged on. And we kind of agreed to that um, pretty quickly. What, what actually took the longest was once we got the, the lawyers involved, um, I, it was a pretty large deal. So there was a, a contract and there's just a, a lot of I's to, to dot and T's to cross and their lawyers obviously trying to protect them and our lawyers trying to protect us. And we're both kind of pretty fair, reasonable people. And we're just trying to get the deal done. And for us, it's the, the biggest moment of our life for our lawyers. It's just another Tuesday. They do this all the time. They go on vacation. They have other clients. So that part, like we would send it over to their lawyer. Their lawyer would take a week to get back. And then our lawyer would need a week to kind of go through it and send it back to them. So that's the kind of part that just dragged on months and months and months. And I mean, our lawyers did a great job. We're super happy with it. At the time, it was frustrating and stressful. And we were trying to push them to to go a little bit faster and, and all of that. So I would say like the initial back and forth along with the due diligence was that two months. And then the other four months was really going back and forth with the lawyers, which took longer than it should. Yeah. Yeah. And often in my experience, when you have people charging by the hour, sometimes things can tend to tend to stretch a little bit, uh, a little bit longer in terms of the <laughs> the time it takes to read documents and, and go back and forth and so on. And, um, uh, yeah, not knocking lawyers specifically, but I think the, the incentives there are for it to go a little bit longer. And that's, uh, that is an exciting period, but also just a crazy, crazy stressful one for you. And let's talk about timing. I think a very unanswered question is why was it the right time? And what could you share for people listening when the right time to sell is? 
Yeah. So this is kind of our thinking behind it. Um, first of all, we said, if we're going to sell a company, we need to do it with no regrets. We can't, we can't look back and say, Hey, we should have kept it. We should have negotiated more. We should have whatever. Like if we're selling this, we're making the best decision possible based on the information that we have, um, at the time. And we had this company for four years. We started it with $5,000, no loans, no debt, very lean. We grew it from a million to five million to nine million to twelve million um, each year for for four years. And at the time, the economy was at an all-time high. Obviously, this is pre-COVID, but at the time we're thinking things look pretty good. It might not always be the case. We had gotten it to 12 million to get it to 25 million or 20 million or 30 million was gonna take take some pretty drastic changes in the structure of the company. We could we have done it. Yes. Did it come with some risk? Of course. And whenever you do like a big restructure, it takes time. It takes money. It takes temporary, um, temporary time where maybe you're not making as much money as you did in the previous year in order to achieve a a bigger payday down the line. And that comes with risk. Um, we had never grown a business that big. So there would have been learning curves. There would have been challenges and adversity. Um, there also was a lot more competition coming out. When we started e- uh, FreeUp, uh, there weren't that many agencies. There weren't that many freelancers. There weren't that many e-commerce service providers. By the time we sold it, there were tons of Amazon agencies, different people creating freelance marketplaces. So now that we saw the writing on the wall, because FreeUp had developed a reputation and is still going strong today, but there definitely would have been challenges that just weren't there in the first uh, three years. So we kind of looked at that. Uh, we looked at just life-changing money and and like, yeah, we could get a little bit more if we waited, but is that going to really change our lifestyle? My, my business partner and I, are, we're pretty frugal. We're not out there buying like Ferraris or anything. We're buying good investments and, and just kind of like living our, our lifestyle that we really enjoy. And this would allow us to do it and set up our families for the rest of our lives. So turning that down to in order to maybe get a bigger payday in the future, super risky. So those are kind of all factors. Also our, our team, just being able to take care of them. If we had turned down the deal and then and not been able to, to pay them the hundreds of thousand dollars that we were able to do that, which is a ton of money for a team in the Philippines, um, would we be able to sleep at night if we made bad decisions in the future, running it ourselves and weren't able to get to 20 million and the business went down? So those are kind of all the factors that, that we considered. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Very, very strategic. And I think the what's the old phrase? It's like a a bird in the hand is better than two in the two in the bush. You know, when you when you have it, you know what it is, and then it's not worth the the projection out. And that was really the top, you know, of the 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 market there. So getting us to the finale, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago? Yeah, I mean, there were definitely like failures before FreeUp. Like FreeUp, we were lucky that it was kind of a, a success um, from day one and growing, but like there were ups and downs of this Amazon business. I remember like going on vacation and having our biggest supplier drop us and my manager that I had spent a year training quitting on me. And there were times that I wanted to kind of give up as an entrepreneur, but the it, like all those failures, we learned a lot from them. From that specifically, we learned to diversify and not put our eggs in one basket and to divide up our team and specialize them. So to me, I, I think as a younger entrepreneur, it was a lot of like, hey, I'm going to take over the world to like, hey, I'm going to become homeless and and have to get a real job or like just like tons of ups and downs. And I think now it's more like, like hey, if things are going well, we got to keep the momentum going. And if things are going poorly, it's problems that we're going to solve and figure out and having more trust in myself. And now, and just 
yeah, I think that that's kind of a, a big mentality that I didn't have when I was younger. Got it. Well said. Well, what are you working on now and where can people learn more? Yeah. So I, I have two uh, bookkeeping brands, Ecom Balance and Accounts Balance. E-commerce, Ecom Balance is for e-commerce and Accounts Balance is for agencies, softwares, other stuff. Uh, monthly bookkeeping, charging on the 1st, get books by the 15th. Um, we're process people. So we try to make it as simple as possible for our clients. And having clean books was a, a big reason we were able to not only sell the company and pass due diligence, but also, just make good decisions every month based on what the numbers were, were telling us. So um, we have those going on. And then we also run Outsource School, which we kind of took everything that we learned from FreeUp and we teach people our hiring processes. So that's our membership if anyone wants to uh, join our community. Very cool. Very cool. Well, wherever you guys are listening on iTunes or Spotify, the links that Nathan mentioned are in the show notes. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for having me. 